0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on this final Sunday in the month of June. Uh, We do um, begin July next week. Hard to believe, but it's upon us, and um, it's good to be together. Mindful today that uh, Diane may mention this, Pastor Diane, in her uh, moment around our prayer time. We're remembering our youth choir this morning who have traveled to Canada. Uh, without international incident, I'm told so far, and um, are uh, singing this morning at uh, a church there in Toronto and uh, I think they're singing even song this evening um, in another church. So we're pray- prayers for them this week as they travel and uh, sing and um, play for uh, our neighbors in Canada and help them worship well today. This is one of those texts that you just sort of have to wrestle with, this bit from Luke 9. Um, And I have for the better part of two weeks now because um, I've wanted it to say something that it doesn't say. And maybe to say some things that not say some things that it actually does say. And the Bible can be like that. Um, it comforts and it encourages and it gives guidance. It does all of that for sure and, and then some. And the Bible also provokes and challenges and rubs against the grain at times of our well-planned lives. Uh, someone once said it's not so much that we read the Bible as it reads us. It interprets our lives. It If we give it room to roam and to... To freely move within us and do its work upon us, then it will remind us of what is true, it will illuminate what is amiss, and it will point us in the way that we should go, whether that way is comfortable, easy, or not. This is one of those passages from Scripture, in part because the Jesus that we encounter here is not the Jesus who is meek, and mild. This is not the wonderful dinner companion or the guy you have over to sit around the fire pit on a nice October evening. This Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem and is intense and focused and unwavering and unyielding and uncompromising. He is on a mission There's a sense of urgency about it, and he invites the folks who were there with him on the road that day, we know at least James and John and others, to go all in and follow. And for a people who like and value being in control, leading the way, setting the agenda, This can be a difficult word to hear and even harder to lean into. So this text has been wrestling with me for a while, and I invite you to let it wrestle with you. Luke does tell us that Jesus has set his face. It's a reference to, I think, a section in Isaiah, where he said his face was set like flint. You've probably heard that saying before. His, faith, his, his attention, his gaze is focused on Jerusalem. And he invites those who are there with him to come along for the ride. And from here, over the next ten chapters in Luke's gospel, Luke will unfold the journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. As Jesus makes his way into villages and towns, to neighborhoods, to dinner tables, meeting all kinds of people, on his way to Jerusalem, Luke tells us what the disciples and others experience. All on the way to the holy city. And there in Jerusalem, because of a love the religious and political powers just could not understand, a love they could not imagine a love that called them to relinquish their control, a love that subverts all our ways of dividing and labeling and naming and excluding. For that love, in Jerusalem, Jesus will be pushed out of the world and onto a cross. One writer has noted that there are basically three sets of reactions to Jesus having set his face on Jerusalem. The first is that of the Samaritans who won't receive him. You may know that Jews and Samaritans have a complicated history. It's religious, it's ethnic, it's cultural, it's a lot. They don't like each other. Hence the story of the Good Samaritan, why it has such a a kind of um, twist to it. There are no Good Samaritans for the Jews who were listening. So you get that. The the Samaritans reject him. He set his face to Jerusalem. He has an agenda and a mission that we're not really on board with, and we want none of that. No thank you, Jesus. The disciples have a certain reaction to the Samaritans. Um, Not surprising if you think about the world that we live in. They're our enemies. They've rejected our Messiah, they, they don't see the faith that we, the way that we see the faith. We know we're the righteous and we're right, and they're not. So, hey, let's rain down fire from heaven and wipe them out. That's what you do with your enemies, right? You wipe them off the face of the earth. Jesus, of course, rebukes them, because in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, there is no room for hatred of any neighbor, Even those we've labeled our enemies, there's only room in Jesus' kingdom for love and for welcome. And because of the graciousness of Jesus here in this particular encounter, Luke circles back in Acts to tell us what happens. The seed of that graciousness takes root and the gospel eventually bears fruit in Samaria. Imagine if Jesus had just given up on them and had rained down fire from heaven. That's a sermon for another day, but a good reminder that we are sowing seed of some sort all the time, and we should be careful that it is the good seed of the gospel. So, in addition to the Samaritans, there are others who've made plans. We're told they have a life, they've got plans for their life, they're, they're doing important, reasonable things like... I got to go bury somebody who's died, family member. Or I need to say farewell to some people before I come and follow you and do this thing that you're about um, heading toward Jerusalem. It all seems reasonable. Who can blame them? Jesus says you got to drop it all and follow. Remember, I said this is not the Jesus who is meek and mild, the good shepherd the easygoing guy. This is the turn over the tables in the temple, Jesus. Leave all that behind. Follow me. All of this brings me to an unsettling question that one commentator uh, points to about this passage. Does Jesus make a noticeable difference in our lives? Does the grace, mercy, and love of God made incarnate in Christ outweigh our plans and shape our lives, or do we seek to maintain control and shape our faith to fit the lives we've already planned? That's what I meant when I told you this text has messed with me for a better part of a week. (laughs) Do I allow Christ full reign and in my life to make the difference christ longs to make or do i try to squeeze him in here or there in the life i've already planned out probably a little bit of both david lost notes if we're honest i think many of us can identify with the latter option we we recognize that we harbor a deep-seated need to be in control. I said at 8 this morning. That's why I think I should be the pilot um, when we're flying because obviously I could do it better than the well-trained man or woman who's sitting up there in the, in the cockpit. So I have a little bit of a... Con- Kim says I have control issues. Um, not when it comes to her because there's no controlling Kim Hockett. But, um, but when it comes to certain other things, um, as if I could be in control of that situation but our world's chaotic and confusing and we want to make some kind of sense of it create some semblance of order in it and yet jesus in this passage is not willing to concede he demands that his mission to love and to heal and to set free and to reconcile the world to make it new comes before all of our other plans there is nothing more important than his work of healing, redeeming, renewing, restoring the world. There is an urgency here that we often lack. Jesus says, lives are at stake. People are hurting. The world around you is on fire. Wake up. Pay attention. There's no time to waste. Even reasonable things may need to be set aside for the work of the kingdom. And so he sets his face to Jerusalem because nothing is more important than the work of God's love. Lowe's goes on to say, if Christ is the model for our life when it is well lived, then it's important that we remember that Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem to assume command or take charge. That's what everyone wanted him to do. But rather, he goes to Jerusalem to thrust himself fully and completely into the middle of our out of control lives, and he comes out the other side, the victor. He empties himself of life, lets go of his life as the pathway to the fullness of life that God longs to give. That's the model, that's the promise of the gospel. Not that we can be in control, but that God in Christ joins us in our out-of-controlness, holds on to us in the uncertainty, and brings us safely to the other side. Which means we can risk going all in, we can let go, we can follow, because Christ is with us. We invest a lot of time and energy and money in being in control. And a lot of the division and the brokenness and the harm in our world is rooted in our attempts to control others rather than to love them. We see it playing out in our politics. We see it playing out on the world stage right now. We see it in families and relationships. We see it even in the church. Yet despite our efforts at maintaining control, the world remains a terribly chaotic and unsettling place. So what if the deepest calling of a Christian isn't to be in control, but rather to give up the illusion of control, to take some risks, to throw ourselves fully and completely into this turbulent life and world that God loves so much, trusting that God has already joined us in it and will hold on to us in and through the chaos, all the ups and downs, and will bring us in time to a better place. Maybe, just maybe, that's faith. Letting go and entrusting the control of our lives to Christ who set his face to go to Jerusalem, entering the chaos, not to take charge of it, but to go through it and overcome it, so that we would know that nothing can separate us from God's love. It's important to remember that following Jesus is not a self-help program for gaining the life that you've always wanted. Following Jesus is about letting go of our lives, surrendering our lives, holding them lightly so that our hands are free and our hearts and minds are open to receiving the life that God longs to give. Bonhoeffer was right. The the invitation Christ offers when he calls us is come and die. And If that strikes you as odd, it should. (laughs) Come and die is the good news. It is also the exact opposite news that you're bombarded with every day. The world says the way to the life that you've always wanted is to take control. Set the agenda, make the plan, focus on yourself, watch out for number one. In contrast, Jesus says if you want that life that really is life, and not just some cheap facsimile of a life, If you want to be your truest and best self, if you want to be the self God created you to be, if you want to be free, if you want to see the world healed and made new, then let go and take hold of Christ. That's what it means when we talk about discipleship. Not fitting a few religious things into our already well-planned lives, but a long obedience in the same direction in which we learn to let go of all the stuff that distracts us and preoccupies us, that we might then be free to walk in the way that Christ walked and to love as Christ loved. That is freedom. That is life. And what a shame it would be if we missed our life while trying to plan and control a life that was really never the life we were intended to live. So Jesus says, "Let go of that and follow me." Now, <clears throat> this following can um, it can take a while. I don't know about you, but um, you have to, if you got to get off the sofa before you walk, and you got to walk a little before you run, and surely before you run a 5k or a marathon, you gotta walk and run a lot. Some practice involved, it takes time. Um, most of us didn't learn to walk, you know, you, you've seen um, animals, calves, uh, deer, whatever, they, they're pretty much walking the minute they're, they're born, but not us. It takes us a little time. Some of you 10 months, 12 months, 14 months, maybe some of you longer. You gotta get, you know, babies heads are heavy, they gotta be able to get them off the floor. And then they get that chest up a bit and um, they roll maybe or they start to crawl some. Before you know it, they can pull up a little bit on the sofa or the table or whatever it is around them. And then they, they do what? They, they let go. They take a risk. And they take a step. And maybe another step. And fall a little bit, yes, Uh, pick themselves back up, take another step, before you know it, across the room, crashing into mom or dad's leg or whatever happens to be there to stop them. But over time, they walk. Then they run. And discipleship is not unlike that. You got to get your head up a bit. And then your chest, and then you can stand eventually and you can take a step you can let go you can cling to things as you need them you can let go and release them and before you know it you're off and running some of you are sprinting some of you are walking well others are crawling a bit some are just trying to figure up how figure how to get off the floor again the good news is no matter where you are in that letting go and walking with Jesus, Christ is there with you. Whether you're crawling, running, sprinting, whatever, Jesus is there. Maybe some of you have arrived at the place where your whole heart, mind and soul are centered on loving God and loving neighbor. Some of you've let go, you're 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 at it. You are down the road with Christ. Some of us are still trying to get our feet under us. Some days it's easier than others. With God's help, we pick ourselves up. We go again. We see this with Jesus' closest friends. The disciples wanted to rain down fire from heaven. By the book of Acts, they're back in Samaria proclaiming the gospel. We keep walking, keep moving, keep growing more fully and deeply into the life that really is life. Loving others as God has loved us. Loving like Jesus and experiencing the freedom and the expansive vision of life that he longs to give. My friends, for the sake of a world that feels out of control each and every day, a world that seems like it's literally on fire or wants to set itself on fire, we're being invited to a holy adventure. We're being invited to walk with Christ, to die to our old controlling self, to let go, to love the way Christ loves, to welcome the way Christ welcome, to offer hope and light and healing wherever we go. And as the disciples discovered, with Jesus leading the way, you might never know where this will take you. But we do know Christ goes with us, ahead of us to show us the way, always behind us to kind of give us that little bit of push and encouragement when we need it. And of course, always beside us, our friend and companion on the journey. So today, just imagine yourself there by the road. James and John, Jesus, the other disciples are with you. Samaria's in front of you. You've turned towards Jerusalem, and you're headed in the direction of Jesus and his kingdom. And Christ says to you, can you see it? That better way of being human there on the horizon. God's hope and dream and longing for the world. If you can see it, then go there with me. Walk with me. And I'll walk with you. Let go, follow, and I promise to give you life. Amen.